0: This morning, if you have your Bible with you, I'd like to ask you to turn to Psalms 121. This is a psalm uh, labeled in your Bible, it's called the Psalm of Ascents going up, walking, traveling. Uh, matter of fact, uh, this particular psalm has been known through history as the Traveler's Psalm. And if I may, I'd like to introduce to you a little bit about the background of, uh, Psalm 121, uh, in the old days, the Jewish people were commanded to go to Jerusalem three times a year for three festivals. And so the people would come from all over the country, up in the Galilee, down in the Negev, they would come and the primary road to get into Jerusalem was on the East side of Jerusalem heading west up into the mountains and then when you reach the peak you would arrive at Jerusalem. And that's where the ascent comes from in our title. As they were walking up these uh, this particular road if you look behind yourself you would see the Dead Sea off in the distance. And if you look to the north as you traveled you would see the city of Jericho. But as I said when you When you arrive at the peak of the summit, which by the way is the Mount of Olives, and you crest it, the view that is before you is of Mount Moriah. And that golden temple of God would be there shining in the sunlight. It was to the temple that these folks were traveling families, priests, rabbis, scribes, Pharisees, and as they arrived, At the top, they could see their destination, the place where they expected to meet their God in worship. So let's begin. In verse 1, it says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? And we can tell from this, and we don't know who the author is, by the way, of this psalm, but we can tell from his declaration here that he's, he's... making a journey he's climbing the mountains toward Jerusalem but what the cause of his prayer is we are not given that he is in need spiritually speaking is clear because he says that he feels the need to lift up his eyes and ask where's my help going to come from From whence comes my help. Without reading too much into the text, we can perceive there that there perhaps is a a state of anxiety, state of distress, because he's talking about help as somebody that needs help. Dr. Spurgeon called this Psalm 121 the Psalm of the Eyes. The old Puritan pastors called it in Latin the oculus sperans, which translated means the eyes of hope. He's gazing up. He knows where he's going, to the crest of the mountain, to see the temple, to worship there. But he recognizes that he has to lift his eyes up. He's teaching us that the child of God needs help. That the child of God is not a self-contained being sufficient unto itself. That the child of God lives in expectation of a hope coming from the Lord. Lifting up your eyes would you agree with me that he's making a statement that I, I need to make a decision to lift up my eyes unto the hills? And then he asked, where does my help come from? Some people have mistakenly read this psalm right here in this first verse as him saying, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. As if the hills themselves are the source of his help. And I don't know what translation you have before you this morning, but would you look and see, is there a question mark after help? There should be. Because this man is asking a question, from whence comes my help? Cory ten Boone once said, look around yourself and be distressed look inside yourself and be depressed look at Jesus and be at rest now our Old Testament saint here I believe is echoing that sentiment because his intention is that help is coming that he is not alone the reason I say that is because of verse 2 if you'll look with me he says, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So, verse one, he asks the question, From where is my help going to come? And then in verse two, he answers his question because theologically, he understands the scriptures that his help comes from the Lord. And isn't that true? We are much to one another. We draw from the great theologians and pastors and teachers in our lives. We draw from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We draw from the relationship that Christ has with members of our family. But ultimately, the answer is rooted in the fact that God is alive that he loves us and he cares my help comes from the Lord that made heaven and earth. Can you picture in your mind's eye this soul walking up this rocky road? He's looking up to the crest of the mountains as he's ascending the pathway and perhaps he's at the point where at the top now he can see Mount Olives, the end of his destination. But you can can discern when you look at this text that he's looking beyond that. He's looking higher than the hills. Those hills might be an inspiration. Those hills might remind him that the Lord made those hills that he made the heaven and the earth as he says in verse 2 but ultimately the truth is this person has found and appropriated to himself that my help my help's going to come from the Lord, the Lord himself to say that statement that he has in verse 2, my help comes from the Lord number one it's, it's, it's as if He's got a mindset, he's got an understanding, he has a consciousness that help can only come from God. And number two, not only that, he believes that that God, his God, the Lord, cares and is willing to offer that help to him. And that's where we find ourselves, each of us. That he made the heaven and earth is important in this text because it tells us who he is. We serve the Lord who created the heavens and the earth, space and time, our universe, if you will. We serve the Lord. And so I can see as I I meditate upon this that that he's, he's looking at some beautiful hills. He's going to climb them. When he gets to the top, he's going to see a beautiful temple over there on the Temple Mount. But his intent of his heart is not the hills and not the temple per se, but being to the place where he can look beyond the hills, the temple, and look to the maker of all of it, the maker of the hills. He's looking beyond the universe. Verse 3 says about the Lord that he will not allow your foot to be moved. And he who keeps you will not slumber. So we've we've got some descriptions here from an old saint revealing to us through the inspired word of God who our God is. He's telling us some things about him that we need to always understand. He won't allow us to stumble or fall and he'll never sleep. You know, this uh, image of the song, Psalm of Ascents to me is especially meaningful. I was fortunate a few years ago to be able to go to the land of Israel and I stood. My group was led to the summit of the Mount of Olives. We made it up there. We were driven up there. We didn't walk. And then they asked us to walk down the same little pathway down from the Mount of Olives that Jesus rode on the donkey in his triumphal procession. It was one of those moments when I kept asking my guide, I said, Am I standing where he stood? Is this where he was? You know, you always want to know when you're over there if you're close to where the Lord was. Well, it turns out that road down from the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane is incredibly steep. I mean, I was having to hold on to bushes and trees, branches and grabbing people because my feet were about to go out from under me. It was, it was, it was treacherous. To walk down that, how that donkey got down there with the Lord, I don't know. I I have questions, But, but, but he did. But the Lord will not allow your foot to stumble, to slip, he says here. The positive truth of that is this. If the Lord will not allow us to fall, that means that he'll allow us to stand to stand. The Lord is involved in our well-being, in our walk through this life. One of the brothers of Jesus, Jude, wrote an interesting verse, verse 24. Allow me, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. I love that verse. It echoes Psalms 121, that the Lord will not allow us to slip, that if we lift up our eyes and look to him, we will endure, we will overcome, we will walk. Verse 4 says, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. That's interesting, isn't it? Created people like us, we've got to have our sleep. Got to have it. Lost it last night. (laughs) But isn't it interesting? Have you ever dwelt upon the thought that he never sleeps or slumbers? He doesn't need it. Perfect being, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, not subject to the frailties that we experience as human beings. And he neither, neither slumbers nor sleeps. Will you notice in verse 4 something? It says that he keeps Israel, he keeps them. One of the most interesting things about world history is this, that the Lord has kept Israel as a distinct people group and nation for over 4,000 years. You don't see Philistines today. You don't see Amorites, Hittites, Jebusites. But you see God's chosen people today. Their language has been preserved, Hebrew. Hebrew. And I attribute that, as do many others, to the preservation of the Lord God of his chosen people. He keeps Israel. And if he keeps them, as his New Testament, New Covenant, born again, saved Christian members of his church, he can keep us. He will keep us. Alexander the Great in his march across Persia told his soldiers each night I will remain awake tonight that you might sleep and he allowed his men to gather a few hours of rest and sleep and he stood guard and watched over them that's just a a small token of an idea that communicates what this verse speaks to us, that he'll neither slumber nor sleep. Linus Mandy wrote a book and he said a friend told me that she helped out at kids' summer camp a few years ago. And after rounding up all the kids, getting them in the cabin, getting their PJs on and tucking them in for the night, she said, "Let's go to sleep and put our cares in God's hands." One of the boys spoke up and said, "Yeah. He's up all night anyway. <laughs> you know, there's one of them in every crowd, isn't there? <laughs> Always. The verse 5, "The Lord is your keeper, and the Lord is your shade at your right hand." This is the second time Verses four and five that the Lord, our God, is described as our keeper. I I think that's something that we need to treasure in our hearts and meditate upon when we think of him. Think of him as our keeper and our shade at our right hand. Keeper. It means that, that he's our personal guardian, our preserver, our defender. It's him that is the reason for our safety. It's him that accounts for this church being here for over a hundred years. And it's him that accounts for each and every one of you that have been saved and trusted in Christ for your salvation. It's him as your keeper, preserver, and your defender. He's the reason for you and for our church This is a dangerous world we live in. We have enemies against our culture, against our way of life. We have enemies against the very nature of our church, all the churches of the United States. There are attacks taking place. But verse 5 communicates to us that we have a keeper that's greater than any human foe. We have a defender. We have a preserver. This verse, it's it's a meaningful verse, but this verse doesn't say we're not going to have pain and sorrow. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that even that he's going to protect us from Persecution. No. Though we might be hurt, we won't be destroyed. And he will preserve our soul. He'll be our keeper. He'll keep our soul from the dominion of sin in our personal lives. He'll keep our soul from the failures of mistakes and errors that we make from the crush of depression, from the puffing up of our pride. He will keep our soul from the world, system, the flesh, and the devil. He'll keep us for world evangelism and mission till he returns. And most importantly, he will keep us up to the moment of through and beyond our death. We have a keeper that loves us. 2 Corinthians 4.8 Paul said we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. He's our keeper. Verse six says, the sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Uh, Meaningful if you've ever walked in Israel in the summertime, it's very close to Texas. It's not quite there, but it's close. God is our keeper, our preserver, our defender. Verse 6, I would just say that it implies that whether it's day or night, we need a protector. Whether we're awake or asleep, we need somebody to watch over us. The Lord will preserve you from all evil and he'll preserve your soul. The old Jewish rabbis used to say that accidents and coincidences are two words that are not kosher. They didn't believe it. What they believed was the sovereignty of God. They believe that this world, though it might appear chaotic, is under his control. Uh, They believe that though we might not be able to discern the pattern of history and where it's going to end up and what comes tomorrow, that he can. And he does. And he will. You know that hymn, How Firm a Foundation? The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose he'll never, no, never desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, he'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. That's what our psalmist friend here is teaching us. Verse 8, it says, The Lord will preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That's always been a curious phrase to me. It, it, it appears in the Old Testament numerous times. You're going out and you're coming in. Now, I don't particularly use that in my conversation with my friends. Uh, maybe you do. But it's a it's a... It's a figure of speech from the Hebrew language and culture that we really don't use today, but in effect, we do. Some wise person one time said, wherever I go, there I am. (laughs) As children of God, I want to say to you, we can beat that. Wherever I go, there the Lord is. And this verse about coming and going is a figure of speech. It just means everything you do. It doesn't matter if you're coming or you're going or if you've been here a while. It means that God is sovereign, keeper, defender, and preserver of your life. And it's forever. It's forever You know, as finite beings, we cannot conceive nor understand infinity and eternity. It's beyond our rational minds, but the scripture repeatedly presses this point that our lives by the grace of God and his sovereign decision will go on forever for eternity. He teaches it in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Jesus... Jesus himself taught us that he'd be with us forever. Lo, I'm with you always, is what he said. John 14, 16. He said, I'll pray for the Father and he will give you another helper that he might abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, For he dwells with you, and he will be in you. And that's where we are. Right here this morning, to trust in Christ, repent of our sins, and believe on him, we are born again, and the Holy Spirit that he speaks of here indwells us permanently, forever. The Lord's protection, that's the point of this psalm. He's with us. He's going to care for us just like he did this psalmist walking up the hills in Jerusalem. He's going to care for the pilgrimage of our lives. He's going to care for us in eternity. God watches over his children, God watches over his church in every circumstance. In every happening, and He'll do so forever and ever. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning. We pray as your children. Lord, we pray as as children that because of the, the teaching of your word, the Psalms 121, we see, Lord, that you're our keeper that our lives are in your hands, and our church, it's in your hands, Lord. We humble ourselves before you this morning, and we ask for mercy. We ask for provision, Lord, direction. Father, I pray for your your spirit, the paraclete, to bring comfort and encouragement to each member of our body. Lord Jesus, we long to know you and explicitly know your will for each one of us and for our church. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.